Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Off the back of that, we cannot but help consider that Jesus has come into the world to overcome the darkness. It says in John chapter 1 and verse 3, 4 and 5, it says, Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. It goes on to say that when the light came in, the darkness did not overcome or comprehend it. The darkness could not. So when we see situations like that with Darren Sutton or anyone else in this world, this is an opportunity, a God opportunity for him to show off. So not just show up, but show off. And who gets the glory? God gets the glory because he's always the hero. See, if our greatest need in this world was information, he would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was technology, he would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need in this world was money, he would have sent us an economist, if our greatest need was pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need need was forgiveness. It was redemption. And so he sent us his son, a savior. He has come to save. He has come to seek you out and save you. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus personally. Maybe today's your day. Maybe you've been to services before many times before and you've questioned and you've queried the relevance of God is he still relevant 2000 in 2023 AD in is God still well what year are we in 2023 Anno Domini 2023 years after the time we remember Jesus coming into this world he is absolutely relevant And he's not just relevant by what he taught, he's relevant by who he is. I'm telling you, I don't just read about the guy, I know the guy. And there are people in this room that you've read about him, but you haven't yet met him. You haven't yet encountered him. My submission to you today is that you will surrender, that you will yield, that you will let the love of God invade your heart. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. I can't promise you that following Jesus is always going to be easy. In fact, it can often be the opposite of that, but it is the greatest. You'll know a peace that you've never known before, experience a joy that you've never experienced before, and have a life. Maybe you've come this morning and you just feel like you need some light. I hope you get to meet the person of life, Jesus. The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Have you read that book or have you seen the movie before? Written by someone I I really appreciate reading about, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, very smart guy, uh, great intellect, not just a, a writer, but a great man of thinking. He says... Uh, In about 1930, he recounts that he started diving lessons and he got to experience what diving was like. 
And in 1945, toward the end of the Second World War, he's preaching a sermon about his diving experience, talking about diving and what it was like for him. And he can, through his experience, show connection with God coming into the world. He says, imagine for a moment that you were diving, and as you are diving, you enter a big body of water, a big pool of water. And as you start to swim and dive, you experience the warmth, perhaps the lightness of the water. But as you go down deeper, it starts to get colder, darker, and murkier. But your purpose for diving is to go down and retrieve something precious, something that you love so very much, maybe a treasure. But to get down there, you've got to go so far down, so deep down, that you've got to go through the drudge and the slime in the darkness, in the coldness. It's not what you're familiar with, but you go down to retrieve it. And as you retrieve it, you bring it up to the surface and you take that with you. C.S. Lewis recounts that that is kind of what the incarnation is like. Where God from eternity comes into a certain place and point in time as a diver he comes as the creator to become as the creation to be with us to find us to seek us to save us and set us free and he now takes us with him where he is now so are we as believers he doesn't just make bad people good people he makes lost people found people dead people alive people so we now are not just living eternally because we are living virtuously or righteously though that is our goal it's really only jesus's goodness that does it for us it's his righteousness that we have on ourselves it's his goodness he is the good one the incarnation is an incredible story of God incarnating in meat in flesh God putting his putting this skin on to be like us to save us and to redeem us he didn't just forgive us and leave us there forgiven he had he, he through his life death and resurrection he adopted us into his royal family this is really quite amazing when we talk about Jesus being born, we are talking about an infinite God taking on a finite point, a finite being, so that he could demonstrate his love for us to redeem us, to restore us, to reconcile us back to him. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read a chunk here, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 20. I want to ask Pastor Karen if you would just read those 20 verses for us. And we're going to stop at a few points after she finishes. Thank you. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Carinus was govern, governor of Serena and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find him a baby wrapped swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they found with with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it, it it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they have heard and seen as it had been told them. Brilliant. Thank you for that. First one says, in those days, in those days, a decree went out. In those days. What were the days where God chose to enter into our world and, produ- and, and provide an incredibly monumental, life-changing, earth-shifting event of the incarnation which led to a crucifixion and resurrection what was it about that moment in those days well caesar augustus was the adopted son of julius caesar and it was a a really harsh time to be alive particularly for god's people there was incredible oppression of Roman rule and tyranny at that time, and yet God chose to come into humanity at that very moment. The world wasn't as affluent as what it is now. I I know that people do question, why did God not come now? Why did he have to come in at a point in history where they would crucify people horrifically 
Why would God do that at that point in human history? Why not at another point where it was a bit easier? There was some 400 years of no hearing of the voice of God. Remember, Malachi was the last book that we read about in the Old Testament. So God would speak through his prophets and there was 400 years of silence. No one would hear anything from God. What's God thinking? What's he saying? Well, they had to always go back to what he had previously spoken, but there was silence at this point. And so there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of darkness, but God chose that in these days he would come. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Trust God's timing. Trust God's timing. No matter how inconvenient that it may be for you. It wasn't convenient, perhaps, for Mary and Joseph. They didn't have too much money. In fact, we read in Matthew chapter 2, at this time, they could do a decree. There was a, in fact, Herod tried to kill all the firstborns. There was a threat not long after this. In this period, when he heard that maybe this Jesus, this new king, was in the world, he was so threatened where he put a decree to try and kill him. That's the kind of world that they would live in. Mary and Joseph, it wasn't too convenient for them, but God in his providence, he knew some things that we don't and he thinks some things that perhaps we won't and i wonder if at times i try to put god on my clock god why isn't this happening when i think it should happen god why are you doing this now i've got a watch at home which i have a love-hate relationship with it stops at about 1205 whenever I... it works Again, after I reset it, after about 12.30, and then it starts working perfectly. It's a great Seiko watch. Well, not so great, I guess. I've got a sentimental attachment to it. But, and so the importance of time is so evident to us, particularly in this day and age, and everything's got to be done when we want it to be done. One thing I'm trying to teach my my beautiful young daughters, 8, 10, and 12, who um, God is teaching me patience through, is I say, girls, you've got to just take a chill pill. My youngest one just had a birthday party about a week or so ago. Oh, and she's been talking about it for about 11 and a half months. Give it two weeks. After Christmas is done, she'll be talking about her next birthday party. Just... Take a chill pill. Just wait. Can we just... She wanted her birthday one to two weeks early. I said, we can't do that. I wonder if I'm sometimes like that with my heavenly father. Well, I want it and I want it now. God, why does it have to happen this way at this time? Why at a particular time in history where there is so much darkness in the world did God choose to come? That might tell us something about God. It might tell us that our ways are not his ways. Neither are our thoughts his thoughts. Though I was complaining that a package that was supposed to arrive in the mail this week did not. It was, it was ordered several weeks ago and I'm checking every day and it's still not arrived. It's missing Christmas. I'm quite upset about it. I need some ministry afterwards. You know, God's, he's a bit of a specialist when it comes to dark times. Maybe you're in a dark time this morning. Don't rush God. Could be doing something. Some of his 
best and most finest works are in darkness. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. I love that Jesus is the one that shines. In John chapter 12 and verse 46, it says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. When God shows up in the dark seasons of life, he comes as light and he comes at the appropriate time. Not my time, not your time, but in his time. Check out Galatians chapter 4. We heard uh, this morning a reference to it. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 to 5. I touched on this last week. I did Luke chapter 1 last week. We're Luke chapter 2 this week. And also I want to say here, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. I'll read on. And because your sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God's a specialist when it comes to darkness. He's a specialist when it comes to chaos. I mean, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And then God spoke. He said, let there be light. So if there is perhaps darkness and maybe there's a sense of void in your life, in your heart, let God speak. You don't need to do it. You don't need to make it happen. Just ask God to intervene. Ask him to speak. Ask him to act. Because when he does it, he does a far better job than we do. Are you still with me this morning? But to trust him in darkness takes faith. It takes faith. It takes a lot of faith. But it's the very faith that helps us grow and mature, where we can be refined. Let's go down to verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to a firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a, in a what? In a manger. That's a strange place. For the king who is born... The king who's going to save the world to be born. A pretty strange place. A manger. A manger is a feeding trough. Really? A trough? Are you crazy? Laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. There was no room for him in the guest house. There was no room for him. May we make room for him this Christmas. Is there room in your heart for God or have you shut him out? Been there. Done that. Bought the t-shirt, I'm wearing it. I've done Christmas many years before. I know what I'm doing. I've got the rhythm. I've got the pattern. I've got the program. I know what's going on. I'm going to see my family. I'm going to go to the sales. I'm going to be busy. And meanwhile, Jesus is kind of pushed over to the side. Just one great reason why we intentionally have communion at Christmas. Because we celebrate the person that we often kind of nudge to the side. I'm preaching to myself right here. 
may there be room in the end of our hearts. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord, the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for I, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying, where? In a manger, in a trough. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They saw the baby lying in the trough. God chose Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Considered by those that knew of it as kind of like the armpit of the world. Bethlehem. God chose a crazy place, an impoverished place, no reputation really for him to show up. And where does he show up? In a feeding trough in that very place. Don't despise life's troughs because you may Miss meeting Jesus there. The troughs of life could be the very place, could be the very situation where Jesus is waiting for you to acknowledge him and see him. Because remember, the shepherds, God appeared. Again, God appears to shepherds. Shepherds, not high-class business people, not other royalties, but shepherds looking after smelly sheep. That's who God shows up to. God values everyone. You know that, don't you? You might feel like a smelly shepherd this morning. <laughs> don't nudge each other when I say that. What is God saying to you? Is he showing up to you now in this life? And don't overlook the trough that he might be sitting in. God shows up in some pretty interesting places. We heard recently it was a woman by a well in John chapter 4 where Jesus is showing up. In the middle part of the day, the hottest part of the day, he's waiting for a no-named woman. That's where my God shows up. God shows up to Abraham in his old age. He shows up to Balaam in a donkey, to Caleb in a windless war. He shows up to Daniel in a lion's den, to Jacob in a wrestling match, to Moses in a shrub, to Peter on the shore, to Samuel in the middle of the night, to Zacchaeus up in a tree. Don't ever underestimate where God could show up in your life, particularly in the feeding troughs of your life. We should never underestimate what the incarnation means to us and 
how God designed it to happen. What it means for us is something absolutely amazing. I mean, it says in 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Can you see how this very scene doesn't make sense? It's counterintuitive. It just does not add up that God would do something like this. But in doing something like this, we are showing that he's different to us. When God acts in humility in this way, he is flexing his kingdom muscle because the strength and the might of the kingdom is not structured and seen the same way as we do. It's in humility and service and sacrifice and showing up in a feeding trough in a place known as the armpit of the world. That's my king. That's the king that was born. And what does it mean for us? Why did, he, why did he do that? Again, C.S. Lewis in his writings, here's a great story. And this is what he says. I'll read it. Imagine lying at your feet is your dog. Anyone have pet dogs here? I got one. I got one. You know my dog's name? Do you remember? Violet. Violet Gabriella Fernandez. As one of my girls says, Violet Gabriella Fernandez? He writes, lying at your feet is your dog. Imagine for the moment that your dog and every dog is in deep distress. Some of us love dogs very much. If it would help all the dogs in the world to become like men, would you be willing to, be bec to become a dog? Would you put down your human nature, leave your loved ones, would you leave your job? Would you leave your hobbies? Would you leave your art and literature? And would you leave your music? And choose instead of the intimate communion with your beloved. The poor substitute of looking into the beloved's face and wagging your tail instead. Unable to smile or to speak. Would you do that? Christ becoming man limited the thing which to him was the most precious thing in the world. His unhampered, unhindered communion with the Father. That's what he did for us. And then he redeemed us. Isn't God so good? That's what he did for us. Let's read on. Verse 16 again, when they went with they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. Okay. So when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What they had heard and seen. Once they had heard and seen Jesus for themselves, they couldn't help but share. They couldn't help but glorify. And it's so important for us to remember this. 
to always reflect what we revere. Always reflect what it is that we revere. It's easier than you think. In fact, it's more natural than you think. The things that you revere, that you love, that you hold in your heart and you're fond for, it just oozes from you. It just comes from you quite naturally. That's what we're seeing here with these, with these shepherds. They had a revelation. They encountered Jesus. They, after what they'd heard, they'd seen with their own eyes. And now all of a sudden, I mean, they're sharing it with people. It's a natural onflow. Christmas is an opportunity for us once we have encountered the light to shine the light everywhere we go. It's an opportunity. It's a natural onflow, an overflow that happens once we encounter Jesus, once we see him, once we see that dear, cute, cute baby, infant Jesus lying there. Once we have an encounter, a true, real revelation encounter of Jesus for ourselves, he oozes from us. This is what N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, says. He said, Christmas is God lighting a candle. And you don't light a candle in a room that's already full of sunlight. You light a candle in a room that's so murky that the candle, when lit, reveals just how bad things really are. So we see that's exactly what Jesus did in the darkness of the world, in the chaos of the world. At this point in history, Jesus shows up as light to be the light, to show the light. And he says now, as you have encountered me, share me. Be changed by me. Be transformed by me. Check out 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there's a reference here to the Holy Spirit. When we all, with an unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, as we behold Him, we're transformed by Him to become more like Him. So we therefore can clearly see that whatever it is and whoever it is that we behold, we become. And whatever it is or whoever it is that we revere, we will reflect. As your heart gets filled with things or people, situations, circumstances, memories, it comes from you so naturally, it just oozes from your pores. So this Christmas, may we remember that Christ has come into the darkness to impart hope where there is despair, sight where there is blindness, hearing where there's deafness, clarity where there's confusion, and Christ himself where there's crisis. The very reason why Jesus came into the world was to die for us. I've been pondering on this the last couple of weeks. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I love Paul's self-description here. Toward the latter years of his life, he grew in this revelation. Though he was becoming holier and being transformed as he beheld Christ Jesus, he was becoming increasingly aware of his fallen nature and his sinfulness. This is what he says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. That's me. 
Me. That's every single person here. C.S. Lewis, the same guy I've quoted a couple of times already. He, sh he says, sharing the gospel is like just basically one beggar trying to help another beggar find bread. Because in a sense, we're all impoverished. We're all in lack. That's why we need him. I don't know about you, but I need his grace. Every day I need it. And the more that I know him, or I can see I love him and I need him. The more that I behold him, though, the more that I revere him, the greater the opportunity is to reflect him. Imagine for a moment, just as we finish and we're finished with communion, seen these high-vis vests before. As we behold and we revere Jesus, this is kind of what it's like. We, we begin to reflect the light. That's us. And for some of us as Christians, we're, we're so ashamed of this, particularly now at Christmas for some reason. I've got loved ones I've shared Christ with, I've been shot down, and so that's not going to stop me from shining his light. I want to reflect him. I'm not reflecting my own light. As I behold him, as I revere him, I can reflect him. But if I'm too ashamed and I take it off or cover it up, other people miss the opportunity to see his reflection in the dark times. Reflective surfaces and reflective posts. When you go driving at night, have you ever gone regional at nighttime and it's really dark? And the reflectors on the side posts really help guide the way that I reckon they've saved a number of lives over the years. Without them, we'd be lost. Can you imagine if we all graciously and gratefully wore our spiritual high-vis vests, how much easier it'll be for people around about us to see his light? So much easier when there are more signs pointing in the same direction. This Christmas, my submission, family and friends, is do your very best to let a natural reflection come as you revere him. We're going to finish with a time of communion and revering him just now together. This is all about maybe in our hearts saying glory to God in the highest. Thank you, God, for bringing peace and goodwill to the earth. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for showing up the way that you have, not just 2,000 years ago, but in my life and in my heart. In this room, there are testimonies of people who in the darkest of hours, you've seen and encountered Jesus. Go back to that recollection. Be grateful for that. And don't ever be afraid to wear that vest and help other people see. As the stewards come and hand out those emblems, I want to ask if you'd stand with me, please. Just going to spend a few moments now appreciating God coming into the neighborhood, coming into our neighborhood. The good news is he hasn't left the neighborhood. If anything, by his spirit, he's made himself right at home. And I want you to know something, friends. You know, God is closer than you think he is. You may not feel it. 
may not even know it. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's so close. It's right here. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11. Remember, it says, He came to save us. Well, we remember now the cross and what He's done for us. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when we have communion together, there is a prophetic proclamation, a prophetic declaration that the cross has set us free, that the cross has been the means, the provision for our forgiveness of sin, that when we have faith in Jesus, that's what it takes, faith. That's what we're talking about, you, faith. How do you access this? It's not penance. It's not rosaries. It's faith. Believe in Jesus for eternal life. Believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, that God rose him from the dead. Have faith. When that faith is activated, when we step into that, forgiveness is ours. Redemption is ours. Restoration is ours. Reconciliation is ours. Justification is ours. Sanctification is ours. Eternal life is ours. It's all ours as a gift. Are you ready to thank God together? whether you're in the room or whether you're streaming in. Justin's just going to be playing. What do you sing for us too? And as you feel led, let's come and adore him. Come, let us adore him together. And when you're ready, take the bread, eat it, and thank him for the body that was broken. Take the drink and drink it and thank him for the new covenant of grace. In Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.